Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we are breaking down red flags and managing conflict on set. If you'd like to suggest a new topic, send us a compliment, ask a question, or otherwise get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at BreakingOutPod, or via email, BreakingOutOfBreakingInPod at gmail.com. So, Christina, red flags and conflict, where do we even begin? I really don't know. (laughs) So the way that I kind of broke this down was minor issues, medium issues, and major issues uh, in terms of like severity. Because like I don't think that every time somebody makes a mistake or fucks up or something, it's like automatically a red flag. Um, but I do think that like you can tell early warnings of how someone's going to be long term if you are just paying attention early on. So I, I considered minor issues to be uh, zoning out on set and complaining. Mm. Because both of those are things that, like, everyone does. Like, filmmaking is kind of boring sometimes, especially, like, if you are not someone who needs to be in it the whole time. You know, like, uh, if you're a PA, for instance, or, like, an onset producer, there's going to be a period of time where you're just sort of sitting around waiting for shooting to end, yeah. you know? Or if you're an actor who's, like, it's not your scene yet, but you're there already or whatever, like, people are going to zone out. But I, I considered both of these red flags because if zoning out becomes a problem, like if somebody clearly is not interested in their job Mm -hmm. and like it takes a while to get them back into the zone, you know, if they don't like immediately snap back to it Mm -hmm. and it becomes a thing of like, they're just there to hang out, but they aren't really contributing. Yeah. Then that's what I consider a red flag. For sure. I mean, I recently, not recently, this was 2018, but one of my shorts that I made in 2018, (laughs) I had two students who were helping out and one was like a PA in the art department and the other was a grip PA essentially. And one of them was like amazing. She would just, when she saw something needed to be moved, she would just like ask if she could help. She would, she knew the department heads and even outside of her department, she was just like, that needs to be done. Do you need me to do it? Like, and not that I would expect that, but that was just so amazing to see. And she was just mm-hmm. like, what do you need? I have hands. I'm here to learn. I'm here to like be helpful. And she was just a go-getter and, and would go after it. And then this other PA, she was really sweet, but like literally sitting on the ground most of mm-hmm. the day. Yeah. And and like that, that will, if you let that get out of hand, then it's going to cause way more problems. So that's why I consider it a minor issue because like, shit happens but Mm -hmm. if it keeps happening like then it becomes chronic and then you have like other issues to deal with you Mm -hmm. know and then like the and I think something that I want to say early on in this conversation is that I think the biggest part like the the way that fights get started most is not like a single thing goes wrong it's that like you let a small thing slide or a small thing doesn't get fixed, and then the resentment builds. Mm -hmm. And like one person gets resentful, the other person or people, however many people are in this conflict, like get passive aggressive because they don't feel like they've done anything wrong. But the person who feels resentful feels like everyone's wrong but them. And then it just bubbles up and then like one thing will set it off. And I, so that's why I thought it might be good to start with like the little things. Yeah, I think also just those little things can really slow you down. It's sometimes better to have no one in that role than to have someone in it but not doing it because then Mm -hmm. no one else knows they should have to pick up the slack, right? Like if they know that the role isn't filled, 
then they will pick up the slack. But if they assume someone else has that role and they're doing it, then you're going to slow the day down because they're not doing it. A hundred percent. That is always what happens. Uh, And then so the other reason, the other thing that I put on minor issues is complaining is that like everyone complains on a film set because like filmmaking is the most fun and it's also like the worst (laughs) And Christina and I have both outlined, you know, terrible conditions that we've been on, sometimes on on purpose, sometimes by accident, you yeah. know, so like, sure, everyone needs to blow off steam. But I think where it starts to become a red flag is when somebody like, after the first time they make note of like, I'm, you know, it's cold. But if someone's like over and over and over again, like, oh my God, I'm, it's so cold, I'm so cold. But they don't, A, do anything to fix their circumstance ask someone else to do it, you know, like, hey, can we get more hand warmers, whatever. Or when they're doing it and they're the only one complaining, but they know for a fact that everyone else is dealing with the problem too, that's when I think it starts to just kill the vibe. So I think it's important to like tamp down on complaining early on, you know, like acknowledge the thing, whatever it is, lunch was late, the room is too hot, the room is too cold, like whatever it is, but then Mm -hmm. like, you've got to move on. Or I, what I do when somebody is like this on one of my sets, like I ask them, like, what can we do something to make you more comfortable? Do you yeah. need a coat? Do you want mm-hmm. to turn the fan on? Do you want to go in the other room for a little bit? And that usually stops the complaining because what they really want is to like be heard. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's important to like pay attention to who kills the vibe. Even if somebody is great at their job, if they're constantly complaining, then I, I think that that's going to do you more harm than good overall. Like, Christina, you you mentioned last week uh, about like, as you work on more sets, you learn what actors are great and are great to work with and what actors are great and are shitty to work with. Mm -hmm. And I I would wager a guess that a lot of it is just like vibe on set. Like somebody can be incredibly talented, but if they make everyone else uncomfortable or frustrated or whatever, that it doesn't matter how like literally talented they are because they're not the only thing on the set. They are a part of a team. And if one part of the team is rotten, the entire team starts to rot around them. Yeah. For me, there's no hierarchy of value. Like, of course, there is mm-hmm. a chain of command in terms of communication and... Mm-hmm. And, and just decision like a, making. Exactly. But no one is better than anyone else on a human level on my sets. That is mm-hmm. very, very important to me. And I try and make that a point up front. And I would say that most of the time when I've been... When I've worked with, you know, problematic actors, it has been a lot of like thinking they're bigger than the crew um Mm -hmm. and in ways like they don't want to eat lunch with everyone like communally they want their own space Mm -hmm. or i i don't like to have to have an us and them between actors and crew but there were some actors that would like to create that on set and that doesn't fly like i had one actor that i worked with that refused to speak to anyone below the line like literally he would not even say good morning to a second AC. The idea that you show up on a web series set and you think you're too good to talk to the crew is fucking hilarious. I know, I know. I also do think that on the flip side though, there is also a danger of having someone who's too chatty. Like I've definitely worked on sets where uh, an actor or a crew member like will cross cross the line of cast and crew and like they'll just like get really chatty and then it gets hard to like get people back on task Because Mm -hmm. so much of filmmaking is just, like, trying to coordinate a bunch of disparate personalities to, like, shut up and do one thing together. And then when you have to take a break and go work on something else for a little bit, it can be very hard to bring people back. So, like, there's also the opposite side where somebody's just, like, there to hang out. And it's like, I 
you can't just hang out. I need you to either do your job Mm -hmm. (laughs) or at the very least stop talking when I ask you to. But like I've definitely worked with people who I wouldn't work with again, even though they were lovely and very talented because like they're just not on task and I can't trust them to, you know, listen when we need to start something and everything takes twice as long because they just want to chat and like goof around and it's like, yeah, ha ha ha. That just wasted 15 minutes of our time that we're not going to get back. And now we have to do double work to try and make up for that time. For sure. And I will say, you know, I often will think about like, okay, these actors are going to be on set for this film. These, This is the energy that they bring. What are these crew members? What kind of energy do they bring? Like, am I pairing anyone up that's going to be a problem, especially when we've got like mm-hmm. a quick day and these people tend to be chatty? Those are things I factor in, of course. Um, if it's not like so bad that I would never work with someone ever again, you know. Yeah, I think that's important. And then I think also for complaining, as long as the person feels like they've been heard and that there's some kind of solution coming, generally speaking, you can learn which people are complaining in a red flag way and which people are complaining because they feel like they're not heard if you hear them and if you provide a space where they feel comfortable telling you that something is wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's, that's an important thing to mention. Uh, okay, so let's move on to medium issues. So I would consider medium issues in terms of red flags, people who are really argumentative, people who are chronically late, people who are chronically procrastinators, and people who are passive aggressive, Mm -hmm. just in general. Mm -hmm. And like, of course, as always, there are times where you're going to procrastinate, you're going to be late, you're going to be argumentative, you're going to like, you're going to be passive aggressive one time. But like, I consider all of these like if repeat behavior happens or if you notice it early before you're like close to somebody, that's when you can tell it's a red flag. When somebody shows you their personality before you're even comfortable with each other and it's like a little bit, you know, more than you're used to somebody who's just introduced themselves to you, I think that's where you can start recognizing early signs. Like if somebody is passive aggressive, like in the audition room, let's say, or like at the first meeting, you know, if you take somebody out to lunch or you have a Zoom call with them, like if they're passive aggressive about somebody else or about something you've said, even in like a comedic way, that's always a red flag to me. Because passive aggression is like, everyone (laughs) is miserable sometimes. And if you're going to be passive aggressive about it, it means that like, you are not only not going to try and help the situation, but you're also mad at everyone else. And there is nothing productive about that behavior. Passive aggression is just so lazy because it puts all of the onus of fixing a problem on other people. Mm -hmm. And that's like, passive aggression is not a team player. Passive aggression is like, should be a last resort if you truly have nothing left to say and you just are so frustrated. But like when somebody starts off passive aggressively and are consistently passive aggressive instead of just like openly communicating with the people around them, they have no place on your set. Uh, Certainly not in the future. I don't know if it's a fireable offense, but it definitely isn't like a rehirable Mm -hmm. behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I think... The best thing that you can do if you haven't worked with someone before other than like maybe talking to people who have worked with them is try and create as many like interactions, as many interactions as possible before you commit to having them in that role, whether it's an actor or or a crew member, but just trying to get a sense of their demeanor and what what the kind of energy they're going to bring with them to the set. And like I said, you know, in the previous episode, volunteering on other people's shoots is the best way to see how someone behaves on on a set in general. And then you can kind of assess whether or not you want them on yours. 
Yeah, I mean, I was on, uh, I was, I met this person through web series chat on Twitter and like just like web series meetups and he seemed really cool and uh, he had a lot of really shiny equipment that I really wanted access to. So I agreed to work on one of his sets because I was like, well, this person seems like we're a, a vibe match. Like we went out, we've gone out to drinks before. Like we seem like both kind of type A intense people, which is fine. That's the kind of people that I am around. Um, and he's got all this great equipment. So maybe if I work with him, like and and it works out I might get to use some of this beautiful shiny equipment and then I was on set with him for one day and I realized oh no I don't want to work with this person ever like Mm -hmm. when we were friends out to drinks it was just like fun and catty but what I didn't realize is that like you know the sort of like dismissiveness and the passive aggressiveness that like he did as like a fun comedy bit when we were just like chatting and like venting was actually just his personality and he was really actually genuinely unprepared but he would constantly say that other people were the reason that you know x thing didn't happen or like y thing didn't work out that last project and like i realized that like the hyper um, you know, auteurness of it, of like, I'm in charge of everything and you're just showing up and, you know, getting to use my shiny equipment actually wasn't that good of a situation. And like what seemed impressive and like, you know, f- fun and sassy when I met this person just like out in the world was actually really toxic and counterproductive on an actual collaborative project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can relate to that. Um, the The one that's always hard is lateness because... Sometimes yeah. sometimes someone is just so talented and so great to work with, but they're just like a perpetually late person. And I find I sometimes have to like weigh my options. Like I've definitely, you know, stopped collaborating with certain people because they're just too late always and it's just never going to end. And I can't rely on that, especially as stakes get, you know, bigger with bigger projects. But sometimes there are like there is a friend of the pod that I won't necessarily name, but an actor (laughs) that I know is just like a perpetually late person. And so, uh, so she always gets a slightly earlier call time than the other actors. And that's, I mean, that's one way to work around it if it helps, but like, it's funny because in the article that I'm kind of quoting from, I have a sentence that says, I don't accept the idea that some people are just perpetually late because what that really means is I don't care enough about you or this thing that we're doing to show up on time. Because if you respect other people and you understand the way that filmmaking works or that like going out to dinner works or whatever like you will understand how shitty it is for everyone else you know it's one thing to be late one time and it sucks or like you oversleep but I'm saying like if you're more than a half an hour late every single time or more than 50% of the time I personally (laughs) do not believe that that is just a oh they're just like that (laughs) usually when somebody is chronically late on set it's big like the problem is less the lateness and more that we don't have any fucking idea when they're going to be getting there and so then we're all just kind of like it would be one thing if I know hey I overslept I'll be there in half an hour if I know that then I can do something else but when you're like all prepared for this one person to be there and you just need them to get there and you can start Mm -hmm. then you're kind of just in a holding pattern and so that makes you even later like if somebody is late but I know they're late and I I can work around it then I can do other stuff we can set up for something else and just like rearrange the day a little bit but when you don't know and like that person might get there at any moment then that kind of forces you to make a decision that might end up fucking up your whole day so like I 
Communication. Yes. So key. So key. And I think that the sister of chronic lateness is chronic procrastination. And this is something that's more of a problem with like above the line people. So Mm -hmm. like, you know, a producer who consistently does not like finish the work they need to do until like the last minute or they just don't do it. And they're like, oh, I didn't realize there was a deadline, like stuff like that. Like chronic procrastination, you know, is going to kill the progress of a project because so much of filmmaking is like setting stuff up in advance so that you have time to like fuck up and fuck around Mm -hmm. and if somebody is consistently like everything else is ready but this one person's stuff is never ready when everyone else's is that is that's gonna that's gonna become a really big issue you know if they don't send an email to an actor like I was on a set once where um I learned at 2 a.m. before a 10 a.m. shoot that nobody had sent the actors the final shooting script or the location and time of the shoot. We wow. It was eight hours before the shoot. It was two in the morning. And I learned that certain people had not sent that information to anyone. And like, oh it's one of those situations that you mentioned where it's like, had I known that no one had done that, I would have just done it. It's mm-hmm. not like it takes me long. But I had assumed, given that it was somebody else's job, that they would do it. And right. then we had to like, it, it ended up working out, thank God. But like, that's the kind of, sh- like, I I can't work under those circumstances. I can't, if I can't trust you to complete your work and, like, make sure that everyone else has what they need, you know, it's not just, like, you're letting yourself down in that situation. You know, it's not just, like, oh, man, I pooped it up. Like, that, uh, like, one person not doing their work fast enough or on time or at a regular schedule affects every single other person on the team because you, you you're you're not a monolith you know mm-hmm. this this stuff that you're doing doesn't exist in a vacuum everything you do or don't do inherently affects everyone else on the team and so people who are chronically procrastinating on stuff even if they technically get it done eventually usually procrastinated work even if like the end product is okay you're probably missing out on a bunch of other stuff. Because then what happens is that you're procrastinating on getting responses for things. So like, say your job is like lining up locations. If you procrastinate on sending the emails, even though all you were supposed to do was send the emails, then you're also increasing the amount of time it's going to take to get information back. Yeah. And learn if you can shoot somewhere or not. And so when people are consistently procrastinating, you know, even if like it's in in the early phases, that's a red flag to look out for. That's something Mm -hmm. to factor in. And so what I learned with certain people that I worked with who were chronic procrastinators that I just like would secretly do their work for them. (laughs) Like not outreach work. I like for prep work, I would just do myself. Like if I assigned somebody else a script breakdown, but I knew they were chronically like procrastinators I would just like secretly do most of the work and like I wouldn't finish it because theoretically someone else is supposed to do it but then when you know they'd come to a meeting and predictably oh yep they didn't finish it I'd be like well I've done it so let's move on because we need to talk about this at this meeting so don't you worry I've got you covered Mm -hmm. and I don't think that is good either because then you're training people to not work but I, I haven't come up with a better solution if you're working with somebody who's a chronic procrastinator but and you know that they're a chronic procrastinator and you don't want to train them to do it more, but you also don't want to let the project fall through the cracks. Like, I I guess the only solution is to not work with them. Yeah. Yeah, Like, that's the thing. But then when you're, like, in the middle of it, you're like, ah. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, if you're in the middle of it, my I've been there and it's just like, you know what? Do what you have to do to get the project finished and and then just don't work with them again. Something I also just, like, as we're talking through these these things – 
sometimes it sometimes the best answer is just that you like that person needs to not be a collaborator of yours and and that's just like the answer for instance my friend Chris who is my childhood friend and I've brought him up a couple of times we started congested cat because we were making some shorts together and he's a photographer he's now a fashion photographer but at the time was just like sort of exploring and I love him to death he's one of my favorite people he is such a procrastinator and he does not meet deadlines with me he meets deadlines with other people but because of our relationship his like worst characteristics are just sort of just exaggerated in anything we work on together and he has let me down so many times in early projects that it was like I we need to not work together anymore in order to still be friends <laughs> yeah and I, that's kind of like jumping ahead to managing conflict but I think that that's like one of the things that you have to be okay with if you are working with a friend and it turns out this sucks mm-hmm. I think the best thing to do is to immediately talk to them and say hey this sucks And I don't dislike you, but I dislike this situation. A, is there a way that we can figure out a way to make this work better? Or B, I think we need to call it quits after this. Like, we cannot work together. And I don't think that there's any shame in that. There are a lot of people that I love to death and I would never in a million years work with. And I think that's something that people forget because they're like, well, shit, I now I have to meet more people. And it's like, yeah, but you're going to have to meet more people anyways. So it's better to not destroy a friendship for the sake of the art because yeah. the art is never going to be worth it. A hundred percent never going to be worth it. Yeah. I mean, I often will say my best friends are my collaborators because that's true. My production company is made of the people that I do consider my best friends. But you shouldn't try and turn your friends into collaborators. Rather, your like best collaborators can be your best friends but but it isn't always it isn't always the right choice that like you try and turn the people that are in your life already that you get along with that you just turn them into people you work with because that doesn't always make sense yeah it doesn't make these people bad people it doesn't make your you know your relationship not worthy you know or like healthy enough because well if you couldn't work together but like there there's no there, n- none of this is personal and i think that's something that like is a big part of managing conflict just to jump into that a little bit like it shouldn't be personal. And mm-hmm. like, if it is, that's where you have the real problem. But for the most part, you're just making a movie, you know, and it yeah. could be a really groundbreaking movie or a really incredible movie. And it might be the thing that launches your career. But if you have to get there by like, belittling people and by like, losing all of your friendships in the process, it is not worth it. You know, if you have a problem with somebody on set, but then also like live with them or are very good friends with them or go to class with them, like the most toxic thing you can do is keep fighting, is hold a grudge, is move it from place to place, because that's where you really get locked into like some really bad patterns. And that's something that I did because I worked with, uh, I was I was on set with, I lived with and I was in class with like the same three people for about two years. And it was truly the worst situation of all time. But a lot of it was because all of us couldn't compartmentalize and we were because we were just always in the stew of each other everything got really personal because everything bled into each other we were either we were always working essentially because we could never let go of the thing that happened because it happened in our living room and then we had dinner together mm-hmm. you know and uh you know there's a reason that they say don't shit where you eat it might be a good advice but and if you start realizing that you know you can smell some dookie in your dinner plate maybe take a step back and say like 
I think we should stop. This is getting intense. And even though it's convenient that we live together and can work with each other, maybe it's better for all of our collective mental health and collective professional relationships if we just don't. Yep. And you have to be honest with yourself about at what point that becomes true. And that's a thing that also has to come with practice. Like, certainly, you won't always realize it immediately. But pay attention. Yep. You have your next, your top tier, right? Yes, the major issues. There's only two major issues. Because, like, obviously, major issues are, like, they're abusive. They're, you know. So I, I, this, this list is not meant to be, like, a, you know, I'm not saying... I'm not going to mention like physical punching. Like yeah, if they yeah. punch you in the face, it's a red flag. Obviously that's a red flag. I tried to sort of stick to like <laughs> behaviors that are going to become a problem that's bigger than the initial behavior mm-hmm. so that you can know not to put yourself in that situation again. So I will, I, the two major issues that I consider in terms of red flags, and maybe you have some to contribute to this, but uh, I said public pouting and shit talking, which mm-hmm. are kind of, two sides of the same coin. So the example I have of public pouting is, uh, and I've actually talked about this person on a different uh, episode of this podcast before, but like they were just a real shithead. And uh, they were an executive producer on a project and they were also an actor. And so they had shown up on a day of set that they weren't acting, but they were there in like their producer capacity. And they were like, really loudly pouting about the fact that like they didn't have enough to do and we weren't respecting them or something and like they like took uh the director aside to like give him shit for you know not paying enough attention to him or something i don't even remember what it was but like basically no one was paying attention to him because he wasn't on set like we he wasn't an actor that day so we had to do other stuff and we would like offer him things to do like do you want to do the clapper you know do you want to like hold this like can you move this box or whatever but he didn't want to do any of that Mm because he was the executive producer he was too big for that Mm -hmm. but so then he just like made this big scene of like sitting on a couch like Uh, because we were shooting in a bedroom and so he was in the living room that was connected to the bedroom and he was just like anytime someone would walk by he would make some kind of like pouty sound or like you know rearrange how his uh, arms were folded like he was making a big scene about like how frustrated he was and like kept talking about like well nobody needs me I guess I'll just leave and we're like okay bye (laughs) like Uh we'll see you next time Um, but he wouldn't leave because ultimately what he wanted was not to be put to work because we kept trying to put him to work What he wanted was to feel important, like the executive producer status he believed he deserved, but he didn't want to do any of the work. Mm -hmm. Because in his mind, executive producer just meant you make like important decisions and people look up to you. Uh, That's not the situation, especially not when you're an actor and especially not when you're like on an indie set where there's like five people. Mm -hmm. So the public pouting, like that was, I think, the first interaction with him that I had uh, outside of like the first day of shooting, which was a pretty just like low key day anyways. And immediately I clocked that immediately. I was like somebody who's going to publicly pout because they don't want to do work but they're mad that they have nothing to do. I don't know how this is going to work out. And it, it that project, the trajectory of that project went into the garbage can exclusively because of this person. Like there were other things going on, but like this person was such a toxic presence on every level that it completely canned the shoot. And we never ended up actually getting to make that project. We shot like an episode and a half, I think, but then we had to fire him and we had to take him to a public place to fire him because we were so worried that he was going to like scream at us and throw things 
because he was such a tantrum person. Mm -hmm. And I have maintained I'm never working with him again. Um, The other people on that project have gone on to work with him again, which is wild to me. Mm -hmm. And spoiler alert, he's not all that much better on new sets. (laughs) Like he claims that he's changed and he once like cornered me at a party to like take me aside like, hey, I know you're like mad at me from working together a couple of years ago. And I just want to tell you that like, I'm really sorry. And I've like changed. And I was like, good for you. I have I have to go. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, I don't care. It's the point at which you're an adult person who makes who has behavior like that. I don't trust you. Mm-hmm. I absolutely don't trust you until it's been like five years. And no one has gotten a, a better like no one else has heard a peep from that kind of behavior from you. Like that my, life's too short. I don't want to be around people like that. And that's not like one bad day. Public pouting is not one bad day. You know what I mean? Like somebody who feels entitled to behave that way, especially so early in a project, that is a fucking red flag if I've ever seen one. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. If you have a public pouting story, we can absolutely... Because like shit talking is the same thing, right? Shit yeah. talking is just what happens offset. Is if it's a person who's like constantly gossiping or like, you know, is, is dec- you know, being rude about the script and like in a funny way, but like they're clearly shit talking mm-hmm. or like they're like, oh, that person is sucks at their job. Like if just somebody who is generally negative about and puts down other people. Yeah. Even if it's like removed, even if it's not in front of them, mm-hmm. that's not good behavior. You don't want to be around somebody who harbors those thoughts because once they've said the, the the quiet thing loud, well, now you've heard it. You can't unhear that kind of stuff. Yeah, I would say like sort of piggybacking off of that when they're when someone is disparaging of other projects they've been part of or sets mm-hmm. they've been on but without like specifics they're just sort of trying to be like I was better than that thing that I was mm-hmm. on you know yeah it, well it's it's like when the when the boyfriend calls his ex-girlfriend exactly crazy, that's the but exact has no... example I was gonna say yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, she was just crazy, man. Well, what was what did she do that was so crazy? Right. I don't know. I can't even explain it. It's just crazy. Like, yeah, that's exactly the kind of person I'm talking about. Yeah. It also I, makes everyone paranoid, you know, yeah. when they're on, like, even if you're one of the good ones, you're the one they confide in. Well, then it makes you paranoid all the time about like, well, what are they saying about me to other people? Mm-hmm. Like, what if they're sowing distrust amongst the set? And like, I've been in that situation where somebody who has shit talked about other people to me ended up shit talking me to other people on set. Mm-hmm. And it caused a lot of like rumors to spread and it got out of control. And like, finally, we sorted everything out. But I, I learned I wasn't on his side. He was on his side. Right. I mean, like, I, that's why I try not to name names with things because, you know, there should be room for people to grow and be better. And so, of course, like, I would hate it for someone to be like, Christina's, you know, directing and producing and leading and everything on Summit is an example of who she is nearly 10 years later like that's not fair to me if if you if someone worked with me on my last film and said oh yeah she hasn't changed and like fine go ahead like name my name but I don't think that's the case so I don't worry but that's why like if someone I haven't worked with in you know seven years I'm not gonna say like this is that person still right um but if someone is doing that then like totally that's a red flag that you don't want to be working with them because they're not like you know they're not thinking about who that person's side of the story and where they might be years later. Um, Mm -hmm. The other side of that, I think, is like talking really big. So like talking themselves up and all the things they've done Mm. and how amazing they are or like their name dropping, just a lot of that stuff tends to be red flags for generally they're probably just going to be really annoying <laughs> but also their their quality of work might not actually be there and they're sort of trying to like distract you 
with like things that they think you'll be impressed by um and I experienced that a lot with not necessarily actors but definitely people that are like in the producer production manager sort of realm they do that Mm -hmm. a lot where it's like they don't want to actually do any of the work and they haven't actually done any of the work but they've worked on these big sets right or like they know Mm -hmm. these other producers um so there's a lot of that And even outside of them being annoying, which they 100% are, I think the other problem uh, that you're going to run into with people like that is that they're going to be, they're not going to take notes very well. And Mm -hmm. on set, like no matter what position you're in, if you're not ultimately in charge, sometimes people are going to have to give you notes. Mm -hmm. And it might be as small as like, hey, can you move that light a little bit like to the left or something? Or, you know, it could be as big as like, hey, can you make a different choice with that line? Like whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And people who like spend all of their time talking about how great they are, are probably going to feel like any critique or any note is a personal attack yes because like their identity is framed around being a person who's better than everyone else Mm -hmm. and a person who's better than everyone else doesn't need notes they're better than everyone else right and so like that is that's gonna just take so much longer to deal with of like okay i'm you're very talented can you try this for me please like that's there you just don't have time for that yeah and the other thing that i would say is a red flag for me specifically is with male actors, older male actors especially, I've found that they like are really friendly and they seem to be very eager to like work with me and they seem like they respect me from like the audition, but then when on set, they don't actually respect me as someone who is running the show, right? And there's like, it's a gendered thing, it's probably an age thing, it's maybe a race thing because I will say that the examples I'm citing are all white men, white older men. Um, yep. <laughs> and so those, for me, I will really try and like look for red flags as much as possible in that audition room. And I will look at things like, have they worked with many women directors before? And if I know any of those people, I will definitely reach out to them and ask. And I do a little bit more homework than I would with an actor that I just like love in the room and I vibe well with when it's in those specific scenarios just because I know we live in a patriarchy and we live in white supremacy and like these are just the realities of of who people listen to you know so yeah no totally yeah I and I I also notice I because I haven't worked with that many older male actors um because I tend to just write stuff for people our age just because I don't want to have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. But I definitely will make notes of like when I'm working with men who are older than me or men in general, when they use words like sweetheart and they seem very touchy. Mm. Even if that's just how they are, there's always a like tint of condescension, you know? And even if at first it seems like a sweet thing, you know, like they're taking you under their wing, Mm -hmm. you know, they might just be a little bit older than you. I clock that. I pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it turns out, you know, it's fine. And like the red flag was just that. It was a flag, but it blew away and everything's fine. But I always make sure to keep track of like who is using explicitly gendered language to refer to women and not to men. One one more thing I also want to add is like, you know, it's illegal to ask someone their like political views or or things like that when you're interviewing them or auditioning them. Mm-hmm. But I know that fundamentally I don't want anyone on my set that doesn't 
agree with like the human rights of everyone on that set right and and I tend to have like a very queer set and I have the very a set that's filled with people of color and stuff like that and so something that I because I've there was one film that Kelsey and I made where it was about these two sisters and one of them's queer and she's like putting pressure on her sister to have a kid because she can't have kids and like she's trying to live through her essentially and our sound person had an emergency and sent someone else in his place and at lunch the sound person just decided to like randomly bring up the fact that he thinks that all parents should only have one mother and one father <laughs> and, and what yeah and he says this to like Read a room, room full dude. of lesbians <laughs> right exactly <laughs> and it became a really big thing like we were i was i got really angry because he just kept saying more and more offensive things Oh, and God, so yeah, they never shut up. Too. Yeah, he was just like digging himself deeper and deeper. And it became a real thing. And like we finished the day and, and whatever. But I was like, never again, like never again will I have someone on set who makes anyone on my set feel unsafe, feel like they don't matter. They matter less. Like no way. And so, you know, I started incorporating certain things like obviously, of course, you know, references and looking at other films they've worked on. But I usually will ask, like, what are your favorite movies? What are you watching right now to get a sense of like, what is the kind of content that they're interested in? What is their inclusion sort of like standard? <laughs> you know, how much how much content are they watching by women directors, by like queer content, people of color? So it's really just trying to get a sense of who they are as a person without asking questions you're not allowed to ask. Um, and and those are things that I will usually look for, especially when I'm bringing anyone that is a seemingly cis straight white man onto mm -hmm. set. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're unfortunately in the position where we have to protect ourselves. So, Christina, I'm curious, have you ever had to fire someone on set, like while the project is still happening? No, I've never had to do that. Because usually my shorts are like one day and it's like, fine, whatever that was, what it was. Um, yeah, same. With my features. Usually the the punitive action is you just don't hire them again. Exactly. With my features and um, my web series, the, my feature in particular, there were a couple of people that were just not doing their job. They were just like hanging out in their bedroom while everyone else was doing their job. And I was just like, I don't have time for this, so I'm not even going to bother. Like, we're on location. What am I going to do? They're not really being paid, or in that case, they were being paid, like, basically a like, gas stipend. Like, it was nothing. So I was just like, fine, you know what? They're just going to, like, be, unfortunately, an extra mouth I have to feed <laughs> and, like, a body mm -hmm. I have to house for the next two weeks, but it's not worth it. Um, and uh, like one person in particular I'm talking about is someone that was like a big talker, someone who talked up all the things they had worked on previously. So that was like definitely sure. something I should have flagged. Um, but yeah, I've never had to directly fire anyone on set. Uh, I haven't ever had like anything really. That one instance with the sound guy was the only time where it was just like, this is horrendous. But mm -hmm. also like we were halfway through the day and needed to finish the day and like I can't fire him necessarily for the fact that he's expressed like a political view that like that's not, you sure. know, you know, he hasn't like said anything hateful to anyone on set, you know, he hasn't threatened anyone. And so it was just mm -hmm. like, 
fine, you know, and also it was like a last minute replacement anyway, so we were already like scrambling for sound and yeah, so there have definitely been instances where, so I will say, I don't know if you want to go into the conflict resolution piece, but yeah, let's that that that's kind of the the direction that we're trending. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing that I know about myself is that I don't have a good, I have a like I have a good poker face to a certain degree, but I don't have mm-hmm. patience for like egos and pettiness, and when anyone is sort of like acting above other people, and that is an actor trait that I have unfortunately come across. You know, I've made so many films that it's going to happen, right? It's not a frequent thing, but it has happened. And I know that about myself that I'm going to be dismissive and I'm not, I'm going to be combative because I'm going to be like, are you fucking kidding me? You know, as opposed to like being like, you're so right and like stroking their ego and, you know, being on their side. And so, but because I produce most of my own projects, I don't have a producer who can be that person Mm I, right, you don't have a bad guy, you right, don't have a bad cop. Right, I've I've realized that like my AD Matt is really good at being that. Like he, there's no sweat off his back to like stroke an ego and to just be that person. And so, in that scenario, he like I let him deal with it, and he's we sort of like have that where we I know my weaknesses, and he and where he fills those in and even like he's I love Matt he's not the best AD because he's not like super regimented when it comes to time he's actually like much more of a chatty person but I compensate (laughs) for that like as my own sort of AD in that way and he's really good at just like balancing egos and energy and really good at sort of making people feel heard even when they're being like an asshole and they shouldn't deserve mm-hmm. to be heard, like he's good at sort of giving them what they need to get the job done and to keep them like on track. And I know that that's not something that I'm good at necessarily, especially when I'm like, I've got all the weight of the production on my shoulders and I'm just like, mm-hmm. I just want you to fucking do your job, you know? Um, and that, like, that's not to say that I'm not, I don't give people what they need, but it's like when you're being an asshole that I'm not the person that should be dealing with you. And so, that's like my solution for those situations is to not have my own conflict resolution, but to em- like employ tap Matt in. <laughs> that is my go-to. Delegate. Yes, exactly. That's that's nice. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty okay with that kind of stuff. Like what I uh, my initial like the worst my worst impulses are like favoring um, being right and somebody taking responsibility for something over solving a problem because mm. like on an indie film set you know th- things are gonna go wrong and sometimes there's somebody's fault and sometimes they're just not and I initially certainly had a hard time like piecing together which was which but then I also even when like it was somebody's fault I it it didn't occur to me until like midway through brain season one I would say that it like was not productive for me to like demand somebody was accountable because like my like my parents's whole thing for me and my brother was like taking responsibility for your actions. Like accountability is a really big thing in our Mm -hmm. household. And so like I was trained from a really early age to like, if you fuck up, you own up to it and you like get better. And like, it would frustrate me when people would like be obviously at fault for something and then try to like obfuscate and like pretend like, well, maybe it wasn't their fault because they didn't want to get blamed or whatever. And like, for me, I don't give a fuck. Like it's your fault. Say that it's your fault and let's fix it. Mm -hmm. But I have since learned that I have to take out the first piece of that, which is say that it's your fault, because ultimately it doesn't matter. 
It right. Once something has gone wrong, it does not matter whose fault it was in the moment. What matters in the moment is if you can solve the problem. Yeah. And a lot of the times you're going to need the person whose fault it was to help you solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And you can't make it like a thing on them because then they're off for the rest of the day and they like right. feel so bad or like they feel defensive or whatever. Like no reaction that they're going to have if you lash out at them and demand something from them is going to be productive. So mm-hmm. like I have learned that it's much better to like take a deep breath, sometimes take a minute to like walk away and be like, I need a second to regroup uh, and then come back and then just be production, like, you know, just solve the problem. And I also have a tendency to get kind of cold. And for me, it's a defense mechanism of if I get too emotional, I'm going to yell at you. Mm -hmm. So I, the way that I manage like difficult emotions on set, especially, but just in any kind of stressful situation is I kind of like, I stop emoting and I just go, okay. I get very calm and robotic, like, all right, we do not have this prop. Mm-hmm. Do we have something that looks like this? Prop? And then I would just like, I will calmly go through and I will feel calm because like I've done, I've shut down. I've shut mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. There's This is not an emotional situation. This is a, we now need to solve this problem. But then that I've found makes some people uncomfortable and I don't know what to do about that, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I you think- know, they, they think that I'm mad and I'm like, I'm not mad. I will be mad later. I'm not mad right now. I need you to do the thing. Yeah. <laughs> here's the here's the problem we now have. How are we solving it? Yeah, I mean, I would say that I'm similar a, a little bit in that, yeah, my if I get too emotional, I will raise my voice and like, yeah, and get angry. And I'll so- cry. Right. Usually yeah. it's I will cry because I'll get frustrated. And when I cry most of the time, if I see a sweet friendship on TV or if I'm frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. So I usually do need to sort of like shut down and get cold too. Um, but that's why it helps to have someone else who can kind of like, who I can just be like, you handle this so that I mm-hmm. can kind of stay in the like sort of vulnerability I need to as a director for the actors in particular so I don't shut that self that part of myself off but that of course is like a privilege to have someone else there who can take on that who has that like ability to be to be like direct and still warm while like not getting emotional or not getting defensive or whatever you know but yeah I I I think Mm -hmm. like trying to just find someone who has as much ownership as you, whether it's a producer, a, a, you know, an AD, a production manager, someone who has like sort of comparable energy that can kind of like take certain things on that you can sort of just let go of. Um, yeah. It's hard when that's the person you're mad at. And totally, that's usually the yeah. situation that you that I ended up in. And, you know, that's, again, one of those things where, hey, maybe you shouldn't be working with this person. Right. But, yeah, I would also just run into the fact that, like, then if I shut down and was just like, okay, let's solve the problem, people would then start guessing at how I felt. And I'm like, that's not what this mm-hmm. is. I'm not doing this to, like, make this a fun guessing game of, like, what emotion I'm feeling right now. I'm doing this because we need to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so something that was, that is helpful, I have found, is having a set time of day to manage that kind of stuff so like Mm -hmm. brain season one was a fucking mess because we were constantly fighting because we had no other outlet um and that and so we just like there was no time to hash it out except for right when something was happening Mm -hmm. and like fights would be over anything you know where a character sits in a scene or we forgot the camera you know like there was no (laughs) in between it was all like you know bash out fighting so season two what we put in place was a couple of things 
Uh, and I have actually brought them to every other set I've been on, and they have been so tremendously helpful because they set a tone from the beginning. Like, I think the damage on Brains was done, and we got a lot better, all of us working together, but, like, the wounds hadn't healed. But on every other set I've been on, instituting the stuff we eventually set up has been really valuable. So the th sort of three parts of managing conflict that I have put into place is before set, I always have a what we call a pregame. On set, we have what's called a, a five by five, which is a Buffy reference. And <laughs> then uh, after set, we have a postmortem. Um, so the, the pregame is just me uh, and any above the line people and maybe an AD if we happen to have an AD that shoot. Mm -hmm. And that is just we like we've set everything up for the day. Uh, and now we're just sort of like waiting to actually get started. Maybe we're waiting on the actors or something or maybe we haven't even started setting up yet. But we make time at least for 10, 15 minutes to just go over the day. Mm -hmm. Just as simple as these are the shots we're doing. Yeah. This one, this one. And like we will go through each of them. Uh, these are the actors that will be here. This is, you know, what the this is the time we want to take lunch, et cetera. And then we will leave space for people to say, what is a challenge somebody thinks we're going to have today? Like, does anyone see anything on today's schedule that you're nervous about? or that you're curious about, or that you're worried about. Mm -hmm. And that's the moment where we all just kind of like center, make sure everyone's on the same page. And that helped a lot of just like, we just felt more prepared because no one was making unilateral decisions because we realized we hadn't talked about it, like in the meetings beforehand. Having, being there on the day, like, and in the space that we were shooting in, finally got us to like make the final decisions so that no one was like, wait, why are we doing that? We didn't talk about that. Like, mm -hmm. we literally did. So there, so that solved a lot of problems right away. Mm -hmm. Uh, five by fives were specifically something me and my, my old director used to do where if we realized that a problem had happened or that we were about to get into a fight, we would take five minutes to go somewhere else. We would say, everybody take a five and yeah. we would take a five minute break and we would, we would not hang out with each other. We would go to separate parts of set. Yeah. And then after that five minutes were up, we would have five minutes to figure out what we needed to do. If it was, we need to make some decisions to like solve whatever problem we've had. If yeah. it's hey, we need to save this for later. So we can't handle this now. Like whatever it is, we had five minutes to resolve whatever conflict was happening or at least put the pieces into place so that we could bring other people in and start to it. Mm -hmm. But we like restricting ourselves to a time limit made it so that we didn't have these sprawling fights that lasted for, you know, 20, 30 minutes that like ultimately were not productive for anybody. And then the final piece of it, which is the piece that I actually also like started instituting at Seasons Park when we were in meetings together was postmortems, yeah. where we would say, and I think this was Andrew's idea. I think he had read it in a book maybe or did it in college, but it's at the end of the day, all the same people that you pre-gamed with, none of, importantly, no actors, unless like I was an actor or like the other actor was like the co-writer or something. Mm -hmm. And even in those cases, maybe not. If I was in charge of set, I wouldn't let the other actors into this. But it was a time where we would first say what went well, second, say what didn't go well. So this is where we can air grievances if like we've had problems and like we've been kind of holding it in. This mm -hmm. is where we can say, hey, we'll talk about it in the postmortem. Mm -hmm. And that was very helpful because then you didn't feel like you needed to make your case right then like on set and derail the day. And then the final thing is what can we do differently to make the next day go better? Mm -hmm. So every day, even if we'd had a really long day, we forced everyone to stay in the apartment and just hash out these three categories. And it gave us the space for onset fighting to like fight later, mm -hmm. <laughs> or at the very least, like usually we weren't mad by then. And so the conversations became a lot more productive about like, okay, 
next time I will make a list before I leave the house so I don't forget the camera, you know, or whatever mm-hmm. it ended up being. Um, or we could like talk through, hey, that really pissed me off earlier and I need you to not do that again, you yeah. know, or something like that, or that hurt my feelings. That was where that space came through. Um, and then it also gave us concrete things to work on for next time. So mm-hmm. like having those three things in place on every set that I'm on has so tremendously helped because it makes people feel heard. It gives them structure to it, but it also like, centers everyone around the goal that they should have been centered on anyways, which is finish this project, finish, make the day. That is the priority. Your ego is not a priority. Who's right is not a priority. The priority is that we solve whatever problem has come up. We do it together and we all feel like a part of the team. And uh, that, that is, those are like the three parts of it that I, I feel very strongly about. And I now put into all of my curriculum. (laughs) Anytime I'm teaching about like being on set for the first time, I always make sure to reference all of these things because when you just say, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. We're all friends. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's the kiss of death. <sighs> well, yeah, It doesn't totally. matter how good of friends you are. You're best friend and you can't work together. And like, those are things you need to prepare for. Even if everything seems to be going well, when it's the heat of the moment, all bets are off. Totally. Um, and that's why I do say, like, for me, a lot of my crew became my friends as opposed to my friends becoming my crew. And that's because... Like, I learned about them through working with them, but I fundamentally, we worked well together and I enjoyed working with them and, like, friendship came sure. later. Um, those are great practices. I'm not so structured, but I think part of that is, like, nearly 10 years of making stuff with the same people and we just, like, know each other's energy and, like, I know I know who's going to be moody in the morning versus at the end of the day. I know when someone gives me like a specific kind of answer that's like oh they're in a bad mood or like they're Mm -hmm. pissed off right now let me give them space like especially my dp peter because he's like he's a very chill person like that's the other thing too is that i i think i'm pretty low maintenance and i tend to have people like crew members that are also pretty low maintenance so no one is like this is like my idea or like claiming ownership Mm -hmm. you know like it is a very like cool like you know just go with the flow kind of a thing but also like i'm very organized and and i like to have a plan and and so i think i tend to work well with the people that i work well with because we are sort of those similar energies but um peter for instance i know if he gives me like a one-word answer (laughs) on something then I should just like give him space Mm -hmm. and that's just like something that comes with time and and again like working with the same people and and finding you end up being like a well-oiled machine to some degree totally yeah i've never had the same crew on in any project even between brains we had like a new dp and a new producer and all Mm -hmm. that so like we i had similar people on different projects but yeah every time i've done a new thing it's been with a not the same group of people. So mm. certainly, maybe eventually it'll become a wild oil machine. Mm-hmm. But I, I find that these things are especially helpful when you're starting out or when you're with a new well, yeah, group or of people. Yeah, or if you're like a director for hire, especially. Yeah, if mm-hmm. you're like never bringing the same people. And I you. did institute that on a on a director for hire, the my first director for hire thing that I did. And my second one, I do, I both of the, the things that I've been hired to direct on, I have instituted this policy. I mm. checked with the producers first, but I was like, I feel very strongly that I think this will help with unity and it will make everyone feel more comfortable like airing grievances and talking to each other and like working out conflicts instead of just like silently seething Mm -hmm. the the last thing I just wanted to say is for me what it always comes back to is like these people are on my set I I hold the power 
but I also hold the responsibility and they're all working to execute my vision. So my default always is to just like take ownership for whatever mistake, whatever issue, whatever complaint and like validate that. Again, like I said earlier, sometimes it's like they're being really ridiculous and I have to tap Madden. But in most instances, I just like don't even get emotional. I'm just, I, and it comes with time too and practice and like being on enough sets where it's just like you are right that I am sorry for that. Like, or I take responsibility for that. That is my fault. We didn't prepare that enough or I didn't prepare that enough. Whatever it is, whether whether it really is my fault or not, it's my set and it's my like movie that they're all working on. And yes, I do it believe- It is your responsibility ultimately. Right, exactly. And and so I think that is like the best practice to sort of diffuse the situation, make that person feel heard and be able to move on and make your day and get them to totally. like co- cooperate or collaborate in whatever way you need. No, I absolutely agree. And I think that- with practice that gets easier because I think a lot of the early stage of it is imposter syndrome. Like certainly for me, my problems on set were imposter syndrome because I truly didn't know what I was doing. And I covered up from that by like over preparing. And so like, I felt like I always knew what was going on, even though sometimes I didn't. And anytime someone else messed up, I would, it was like a, oh, thank God, somebody else messed up. I'm not the imposter, you are. <laughs> and so then it became like a game of like spy versus spy, which is not productive. <laughs> and I, I, I keep repeating that phrase because I think it's important. It's that like, it feels good and cathartic to be able to finally gotcha to somebody who fucked up or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, it's not productive. And when you're on set, when there's cameras are on, when the lights are blaring down, when actors are in makeup, what the fuck is the point of being right? Yeah. If you can't move on, you know? And like, that was that was a lesson I had to learn and that I have now had to impart on and, many other people. Yeah, and like I said, at the end of the day, you hold the power to hire them again or not. So like... Mm-hmm. That's oh, that always is comforting to me. It's like, you know what? Who cares? Who cares if it was their fault? Who cares if they're wrong? At the end of the day, I have final say. I'm just trying to get my movie made. And and yeah, so. Yeah. Do you have any other advice? Otherwise, I'm going to end on my serial killer DP story. No, let's end on that. <laughs> so I think I've mentioned this a handful of times throughout this podcast, promising that I'd get to it during the Red Flags episode whenever that happened uh but i wanted to end this episode telling the story of like the easiest red flag to spot of all time that i ended up allowing into my life because i was a fool (laughs) so uh this is the story of the first time that we shot the brains pilot um every the there is only one surviving section of the brains pilot from the initial day of shooting. And it's the zombie iPhone section. There's a there's a section of the brain's pilot where a YouTube vlogger is like filming a, a, a zombie and saying, hey, all my YouTube subscribers, stop chasing zombies. I'm losing subscribers and losing views. And then like ends up getting chased herself. Um, and like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like a funny little scene, but it's the only thing that survives from the actual weekend that we shot the pilot the first time. Mm-hmm. One thing got reshot because we recast an actor who I talked about last time, the one who made me so upset that I screamed life is pointless at a neighbor. <laughs> the other thing that got reshot 
was because of a DP that we hired. And calling him a DP is generous. So when I was making brains for the first time, I didn't know what I was doing. And I fundamentally didn't understand the difference between a director and a director of photography. But then my director explained it to me that the director of photography has the camera. And I was like, that makes sense. <laughs> they have the camera. And I didn't think about it any further. And so because we didn't have a nice camera, I had a camcorder, which we ended up using, but that's a spoiler. Uh, we didn't have a camera. We were like, all right, well, shit, we need to find somebody with a camera. They'll be our DP. That was the plan. We just find somebody with a nice camera. They'd be the DP. And sometimes I'll admit this works out. I've done it with other people and it's been fine. This person did not. So uh, our other producer who we who was a year ahead of us in the grad program that we were all in said, oh, I have a friend with a really nice camera. And he like does all these like weird like experimental photography things. Like I bet he'd let us use his camera and maybe like join. It'd be fun to have another one of my friends on set. And we're like, great, let's meet up with him. So after work one day, because uh, I was still a barista at the time, we all went out to drink. So me, my director, my producer, and my producer's friend, who was going to be the DP. And um, the I can't truly express like how wild that hour and a half long drink session was. Um, but like to this is the first time I've met this human being. And like the first thing he does is tell us about his film experience, which is that he once edited together a snuff film that oh they God. used to haze his fraternity brothers at his old college fraternity. So like the first red flag is that he was in a fraternity and still talks about it, even in his 20s. So like mm. that's the first red flag. The second red flag is the uh, snuff film that he cut together. The third red flag was the way that he talked about it, which is with reverence. He was like so into it. He thought it was so cool. And like, it's so fucked up. They still use it to this day. And like, honestly, it didn't bother me, you know, just like cutting all these like really gruesome images together until I got to this one clip of like a person being beheaded. And like, I had to like take a step back and think like, oh my gosh, that's a human being. And I was like, that's the point where you realized it was a human being? So like, that was already insane. Uh, and, th and then my director, who at the time was still a smoker, left to take a smoke break. So I was alone. <laughs> And then from there, this meeting escalated. And I genuinely don't know how you can escalate from I cut together yeah. a snuff film for my old fraternity. And I think it's awesome. Um, but like, Christina, I can tell you off mic if you want what the kind of shit he was showing me. But like, he just kept showing us really disturbing like videos and images on his phone that he thought was funny. And like, just like gross and weird and gruesome. And like... At that point, we weren't even talking about the project anymore. Like, we had confirmed he had a camera, he could use it, and he would do the shoot. <laughs> but then it was just getting to know each other. And the whole thing was wild. My director kept taking smoke breaks because it was so tense and uncomfortable. But then, we've talked about this before, I am a kind of person who, when somebody is confronting me with a very uh, unpersonable personality... It is my job to win them over and make them think, oh, you can't freak me out. You can't mm. make me afraid. Mm. Like, I can keep up with your weirdness. And so then it became this sort of escalating thing even further where he realized he couldn't shake me. And so he kept showing me worse stuff oh on his phone. And, and I was like, yeah, whatever. It doesn't bother me because, you know, I was like high in the moment of like conflict because I had to win. Mm. And so then we all left. And um, of course, what we did is we hired him immediately. So <laughs> then let's fast forward to the first shoot. The actual day, the only day he was on set was fairly unremarkable. Like it was the day that we shot all of the vlogging scenes. So my character in her dorm room talking to the camera. So there were no other actors. It was just me. 
and like a handful of crew people. And it was actually the first thing we shot of Brains. And I, it went fine. And he seemed bored. He was one of the people who I would consider a red flag then was like dozing off, which was not unfair. Because like when you're the DP of a vlog sh- like shoot and it's one of the scenes where there's no movement, you just set up the camera and let me act. Mm-hmm. That's fucking boring. And like that happened with our, our next DP as well. So like I'll forgive him for that. But like he didn't have any interesting ideas. He actually ended up having to use our director's lenses because he didn't have any new lenses for his own camera so the director like lent him a bunch of them this will become important later um so and he didn't like he knew how to use the camera rudimentarily but like basically the director was the dp that day he was just there and provided the camera and we were like that's fine so the next day was when we were going to shoot all of the outdoor stuff so the zombie scene and uh, an additional like group scene it was like a big ensemble scene a bunch of extras a bunch of people had called in favors with friends and so we were like well we're just going to see you tomorrow, uh, and I don't really want to do anything. This has been a long day. So how about you just hold onto the footage and the lenses and just bring them to set tomorrow, and we'll collect everything from you then. He's like, great, I'll see you tomorrow. So um, <laughs> we, we left feeling pretty good, and then we showed up on set the next day, and he was a little late. And at first, we were like, all right, well, a couple of the extras are late too, so like, let's just hang out. I had brought my camcorder, thank God, and I was filming like behind-the-scenes footage of everyone kind of goofing off with all the weapons that we'd brought to the prospect park to like act as like zombie weapons Mm -hmm. and you know we were all just like hanging out and then it was like half an hour 45 minutes had passed and we poked our producer and was like hey can you text your friend what's happening he's like yeah i haven't heard from him and so like we tried to get in touch and then you know things started to get later and later i don't actually remember how long we waited but eventually the producer who's was friends with him took me and my director aside and he said okay so i finally heard from the dp (laughs) here's what happened Uh, he was on the train on his way to set today and then he got off that train. Unfortunately, he didn't bring his stuff with him. And we were like, do you mean he like forgot it at home? And he's like, no, what I mean is that he had his camera bag, which had the memory card from yesterday of all the footage and all of the lenses that he had borrowed from you, the director. Um, and he just left it on the train and we were like, I'm sorry. And he was like, yeah. So he, you know, tried for a little bit to like track it down, but like it's it's gone at this point, unfortunately, because like the train left before he like realized what had happened. Uh, and we were like, okay, so what is he doing? And he's like, uh, he just said he's not coming. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. He's just not coming. Wow. And so like. <laughs> We lost our cool for a little bit, but then we, we, we cooled down a little bit and me and the director like looked at the camcorder in my hands from 2011. It was 2015 by the time we were shooting this. So like this was an out of date camcorder camera. And mm-hmm. we were like, well, I guess this is what we're doing. So we we circled everyone up and we shot the day and then we shot the rest of the season uh, and had to reshoot all the other stuff on my stupid camcorder, my like HD camcorder, classic camcorder for the rest of the season. But um, yeah, that was... <laughs> truly on every level he was a failure and then he didn't even pay us back for the lenses he lost because like they were expensive lenses that he'd lost of our directors and he eventually i think he venmoed him like a year later but he never spoke to me or the director he like never sent us an email apologizing or anything or like oh explaining God. himself he never made any contact with us ever again and we kept working with the producer for the rest of that season um but like yeah he never spoke to us he just like silently venmoed the director six months to a year later because finally his friend had put enough pressure on him to say like you need to pay him for the shit of his you lost and i'm pretty sure he was also like a rich guy so it like wasn't that big of a deal that he paid money but yeah 
it on every level it was a failure on us to hire this person so the things that i learned from this story one if somebody seems kind of like a psycho don't hire them it doesn't matter how nice their camera is find somebody else uh number two always download footage and audio the day that you capture it Mm -hmm. do not wait for the next day even if it might be more efficient it doesn't matter always download the audio and video as soon as you humanly can Mm -hmm. even if that means taking a little bit longer and having to spend a little more time working that day and the other thing that i will say is that lighting matters a lot more than camera quality so even though we had to shoot the web series on a camcorder um the scenes where we had a lot of natural light actually look fine like they don't look substantially better or worse than like projects that I know were shot much better. The times we ran into trouble was when we didn't have lighting equipment because we didn't have lighting equipment and we didn't know how to use it anyways. So the footage looked grainy because it was low light. So that's the, those are the three takeaways that I have from this littered with red flags story. I'll just add to that to say like sometimes people make a bad first impression, but I think that often my gut feeling in that first, you know, interaction ended up being right and so I think like Mm -hmm. you know trust those the instincts that you have and trust those moments that you're like especially with microaggressions like if you were like trying to give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes that can Mm -hmm. really blow up in your face um and and so I do think that you really just want to trust your gut especially when it's like they said something that you found questionable or they did mm-hmm. something or they like treated they someone a certain way. they increasingly traumatic videos exactly. on their cell phone exactly. in the middle of a public place. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, and I think, that's, I think that's a good place to end. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, happy 2021, everybody. Yeah. Don't do this. Happy New Year. <laughs> okay so thanks so much to kelsey rauber for our theme music and kaylee brown for our podcast art and to all of you for listening links to learn more about them as always are in our episode description and remember to subscribe so you get notified of all of our new episodes dropping every other thursday and be sure to rate us five stars if you haven't already it really does help us out especially if you write something nice next week we will be covering how to survive the grind in a culture of workaholism with special guest brandy nicole payne so be sure to tune in and we'll see you next time